0: Again today, the Gemara on Dafnam Tessa and right at the beginning of the the aima. So here, this is a continuation from the Gemara before, where it said the Halacha, regarding a person that gave over his daughter to the Shluchim of the husband, to deliver the wife to the husband of the the, the, the home of the husband. And if along the way she was mizana. so the question is, what status does she have at this point? Is she still a Naram or irasa? And therefore, she will get skila after the first stage of marriage. If she has a relation with someone else, she gets skila. Or from that point, because she was already given over to the husband's agents that came to deliver her, she gets only chenek, because she's already married. Once you're married, it's a different misa, which is only chenek. So the gemara before brought the psukim to say that, well, the Pasik actually that said was, this is relevant for the gemara here, base only if she was mizana when she was still in the father's house, then she still gets skila. But if she's already with the husband's shluchim on the way to the husband's home, she only okay. gets chenek. So now, on, the, on this, the Gemara asks, Maybe we should say, If she was given over ready to the shluchim of the husband, but then she changed her mind, and she's, she went back home. I should say that she goes back to her previous status. And therefore, she's again a naira on and the Nisuin is not a really a full Nisuin. And so, so therefore, at this point, she should still be getting skila. skila. So what the Gemara is asking is, according to Rashi, it's not really a question. It's more of a Shilat. The Gemara is wondering, what would be the Halacha? You're telling me that once she was given over to the Shluchim of the Baal, so from that point forward, she's already fully married, and therefore there's only chenek. But the question is, what's if she turns around and she goes back to her father's house? There's a cha- status that has changed back to being a Naira Meirasa, <laughs> because she, she went back. Good question. And especially the Gemara's question is based on the fact that the source was, Lizna is of Aviyah. And we said, once she left the father's home, even if she did not arrive to the husband's home, but she's on the way with the Shluchim of the husband, but she's not Beis Aviyah anymore. She's not home anymore. So therefore, the Gemara is wondering, if so, what's if she turns around and goes back home, then it is Bez Havia. So maybe we should say that uh, she does have the status of naira HaMoyodos, which is Chayiv Skila. Amar Oveh, yeah. answers, Ahu, your question you're asking here, or you're a quandary, really, you're wondering about this, HaLacha, Rabbi Shmuel already resolved this. Based on what Rabbi Shmuel said regarding the halacha of, of a woman that makes a neder, will answer this Shailah as well. The Tana debate Rabbi Shmuel because Rabbi Shmuel said as follows, and this is in the parsha of a woman that makes a neder. She takes, she makes a vow. So there it says, when almano grusha, when there's an almano or a grusha that makes a vow, osral nafsha, whatever vow she made and she prohibited upon herself, yokum Allah, it remains. There's nobody that could annul these vows for her. Not a husband. Because she has no husband and not a father either. She's out of the father's possession. So the question regarding this possek is... Why does this possek have to say? It's an extra possek. It's obvious. Once she got fully married, she's out of the father's possession. And now once she's widowed or divorced, so she's out of the husband's possession. So of course there's nobody that could annul her vows for her. So why does the possek have to say that the, the vows will remain... Hello, so what is this plastic coming to say? It's referring to this case that we're speaking about here. What happens in a case where the father gave over his daughter to the shluchim of the husband? Or the shluchim of the father gave over his daughter to the shluchim of right. the husband? And she did not yet arrive to her husband's home. She's in between. That, this Pasek here, Venedar Alman and is coming to speak about a case where she became an Alman and a Grusha in this condition, Adera. when she was in between, exactly. In other words, we, we do have already understood from the Pesukim before, when she's still in the father's home, so the father knows the vows. Once she arrived to the husband's home, the husband knows the vows. That's clear, we know that already. We're not here, not there. This Pasek over here is coming to talk about what happens if it's in between. She's on the way. She's en route to go to the husband. Mm-hmm. And then, Vinis in his Garsha. And on the way, her husband to be, I mean, she's already uh, married to some extent. There's an Edison, but uh, the husband to be fully passed away in his Garsha. Or she receives the news that he decided to divorce her on the way to, 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 to the home. So quickly. So what happens now? Hey, Chani what, what do I say about the status of this girl? Base of Vishalzu. Based do I say that she still belongs to her father's home, because it turned out that the husband that she was going to, there's nowhere to go to? Or do I say that no, once she was already on the way to go to her husband, even if she didn't yet arrive there, but the fact is, from that moment, she already belongs to her husband. So, what the Passock here is saying to you is that I can't say that she's not from the father's home and not from the husband's home anymore. So, it comes to tell you that once she left one moment from the reshus of the father, so that's it. She does not belong to the father's possession anymore. She's out of the father's house. And on the other hand, she really belongs to her husband already, but the husband died, or the husband divorced her. So now, that's what the Apostle is saying, that there's nobody here to annul her vows. So what's the gemara saying? That from here I could learn the same thing regarding what we were speaking about when I said before, is even if she decides to turn around and go back to her father's home, but I see from this partial of Nedadim, that once she leaves her husband's home, that's it. She left her father's home, and the father that is can't annul her vows anymore. So the same thing over here regarding the question of what status does she have regarding what einish should she get, chenek or skila. Once she leaves her father's house, so it's, she's not in beis anymore. Just like regarding daughter she's not in beis anymore. So if she's Mizana, after she left, even if she decides to turn around, she's not anymore in beis That's right. So then she'll be and chenek. Right, our papa, our papa says, mm-hmm. We learned this also in the following Mishnah Habal Naira Person that has a relation with this Naira Again, Naira Meirasa means the girl that is only after the first stage of marriage. And Yichayev specifically Skila, not Chenech. so he won't be Yichayev. Ah, Naira So you have all these conditions. It Has to be a Naira. She has to be a Basula, and it has to also be a ma'irasa, first stage of marriage, and also, that she's still in the Father's house. Uh-huh. So the G'mah explains we'll what up. all of these details refer to. These are the conditions that the Taita said. Haif. He's not going to be Chaif skila. So the Gemara explains, We understand what it means when it says Naira, mm-hmm. and that excludes what? It excludes a Begett. Once she's a Begett, so then the Chiv is not going to be Skel, it'll be a different Chiv, different Dainish. Besula is V'loi Basula is saying that if she already had a relation with someone else before this, so she's not a Basula anymore. We understand what that excludes. Ma'ayrassa, when it says that she has to be only after the first stage of marriage, that means v'lo inesua, not after she's fully married. If she's fully married, then it's a different. Then it's going to be chenek, not skila. Now, but when it says beve then it adds that it has to be when she's in the father's home and not. And that's, where else? What is this coming to exclude? It seems to be identical to what we're saying. Usually, a ma'irasa means when you're still by the father, when she's still living with her father. Nesua means when she moves in with her husband. So what's this additional point here that it adds? lav? do you think? This is adding that even in a case where she didn't arrive yet to her husband's home, and it's not fully Nesua, but the very fact that she left her father's home, so she's not anymore, mm-hmm. Be'i so then the, the Chaichiv will not be skila; It'll only be Chenech. So this additional detail here of Be'i shows that even on the way, B'derech, she's already not Chaif skila; he's not kafanana We learned this also in the following B'raise, or maybe Mishnah, not sure. So it says over here, Ha'bal Eshes Ish, the Mishnah says, a person that has a relation with an Esh Yish, so that is, as, as soon as she enters into the Rishus of her husband, for Nisuin, for full marriage, even if the husband that she's fully married to was not boil her yet, we had this in the Gemara before, once there's a Chuppah, even without being boiler, her, so the one that has a relation with her, only is chai, which means chenek, so now, the Gemara is mitayik, the expression that the Mishnah here says. What did the Mishnah say? It says in the Mishnah, she enters into the Rishos of the husband. It does not say how, to what extent. Usually, the expression the Mishnah uses in such a case is, as Rashi points out, it should have said specifically, if she enters into the Chuppe, but it doesn't use the term Chuppe. So, so therefore, the Minah, The reason the Mishnah is using the term without mentioning Chupah is because it wants to include also when she was given over to the Shluchim of the Baal, even on the way to the husband's house. That's already out of the possession of the father. He relinquished control over. Her, he gave her over. He sent her off. Shmamimna. So from this we see that from that point forward, it's already Chenech. Okay. Even if she turns back, it's too late. You, need all three of them. you what again? You need all three of them. Which three? Which three? You have three. Just had three cases talking about um, when you give to the and what you need all three of The different they found him of uh, she was given over to the shleach of the father gives over and to the shleach He has three rights He three uh. rights He just oh. gave three rights yeah, He these, these three, conditions, three conditions all these conditions Three rayas or so three Three is better than one? No? <laughs> okay Okay, okay I hear what you're saying Okay, that's no, that's that's okay Now mm. we continue sort of a little bit of on a different subject the, mission, the next Mishnah is going to discuss the obligations of a father to feed his children. Is he obligated to feed his children? Is he not obligated? Let's see. He's not obligated to feed his daughter while he's alive. Okay, huh. This is a halacha that ben Azaria. Benaza- so he expounded upon this in front of the Chachamim in the vineyard of Yavna This is an expression that refers to the Chachamim that were together in Yavna and they were sitting in rows like the rows of a vineyard. So over there he said as follows: Habanim Yirshu the sons so they inherit and the daughters they get fed. Now, when it says here, "Abonim Yeshu, what does this refer to? So he says, "Ma habonim," and in Just like the sons, when they inherit, they only inherit after the father passes away. So too, the obligation of a father that his daughter should be fed from his money, the the obligation is that they have to be fed after he passes away but not in his lifetime <laughs> so to clarify exactly what the mishnah means by this by the water blood means by this Comparison of the sons and the daughters. So Rashi explains that these are two conditions that are written into a ksuba. When it says in the Mishnah that the sons are inheriting, it's not referring to the regular inheritance that children inherit from a father. Rather, what it's referring to is in the ksuba there are two conditions that are written together. One condition is that the bonim the sons, will inherit their mother's ksuba. Meaning, if if this his wife has her sons that are not the father's sons, it's her sons, and the and the Yerusha of the father is going to be given out, the sons will inherit the mother's k'suba separate from the whole entire Yerusha that's being distributed. And we'll learn about this later here in the Mesech Debariches. It's coming up very soon. This is what's called k'subas Benin Dichrin. The ksuba of the mother that goes over to her her sons, the males. Her the means the tzacharim. and it, and that's one condition it says in the ksuba. Another condition it says in the ksuba is regarding the fact that when a father passes away, even though the daughters are not yerushim, only the sons inherit. The, the daughters do not inherit anything, but nevertheless, there's a condition that the father promises and obligates himself in the ksuba yes, that the daughters will be will get fed from his money. Mm-hmm. So what the, what Rabbi is saying is just like this special Yerushim that the sons receive from their mothers only applies after he passes away. So too, the special uh, obligation to feed the daughters is only after the father passes away. But in his lifetime, he's not obligated to feed his daughters. That's the Allah of the Mishnah. Can I ask you a stupid question? Life was so difficult in those times that... That? Only when people are passing... It, our life is totally different and we, we take care of our let's, children. See. So let's so let's wait and see what the holy Gemara will say. gemara it's all here. The gemara has the answers for all the questions for all times not only those times but for our times as well. gemara bitay What does it say here in the Mishnah? When it comes to feeding your daughter, so a person is not obligated. but that indicates but when it comes to obligation of a person to feed his sons <laughs> that you are obligated. The daughters, let them fend for themselves. But the sons, you have to feed them. <coughs> Another diak from the Mishnah. Bitoi his daughter as well, Nami, There's no obligation. But, mitzvick, but he does have a mitzvah to feed his daughters, right? So what's the difference? A chayvah would mean that we force him. This is an obligation that he took upon himself in the Ksobe or whatever, and we could force him, we can confiscate his money if he's not going obli- to fulfill his obligation. A mitzvah is, you have, you have a mitzvah to do it. These are your children, you have a mitzvah to do so, to feed your children, but we're not going to force you. Mm-hmm. So it seems from our Mishnah that even if we're not going to force you, it's not a chayvah, but it's still a mitzvah. Okay. So Gemara the gemar, but the question now is, who is the who the who is the opinion of uh, the Tana of our Mishnah? Not, none of the following Tanaim which are quoted in this B'raise here. The Tanya, because in the B'raise, we learned that it says about this subject of the father feeding his children. So the, 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 the Rab Meir, the first opinion here is mitzvah laws and his A person has a mitzvah, not an obligation, where we force him, just a mitzvah. Mitzvah to feed his daughters, kavakhaimulla banim and most definitely he also has to feed his sons as well why why do you have to feed your sons more than you feed your daughters the aski because they're learning tighter. so therefore they need your support to be able to learn tighter. david A. this is rab Meir's opinion rab rab says also he has rab basically holds the same thing but rab Yudah says that the daughters it's more important the mitzvah to feed the daughters is more important than the mitzvah to feed the sons mitzvah sabbanim. it's a mitzvah to feed your sons. Definitely a mitzvah to feed your daughters. Why? Because you don't want the daughters to be embarrassed after to go and collect money for themselves. It's yeah. a much bigger embarrassment for girls to have to collect money for yeah. themselves and the sons. What, by the way, what's the difference between Rav and Rabbi Yehuda? They're both saying that the father has to serve the sons and the daughters. The difference is, so what's if the father doesn't have enough for both? Who's, who's more important? So according to Rabbi Meir, the ones that are learning Torah are more important. The sons. And according to the Yehuda, the ones that are going to be embarrassed to go collect money are, the more, are more important. When it comes to feeding your daughters, it's actually an obligation. It's not just a mitzvah, but it's an obligation you have when is that though? <coughs> Only after the father passes away. Mm-hmm. While the father is alive, Both the sons, the daughters are not fed from the father at all. Not It's not his obligation. And there's no unique mitzvah, the fact that he's their father either, to, to, to feed them. So now if you look at all these three opinions quoted in this b'risa, our Mishnah does not go according to either of them. Mani must Who's our Mishnah? If it follows the opinion of Rab Meir, Ha Amar, Rab Meir he said, "Bonim mitzvah." That to feed your sons is only a mitzvah. And before we were medite from the Mishnah that the Mishnah holds that to feed your sons is a chayvah, is an obligation. You must, we can force you. Eid it's the same question. According to Rabbi Yehuda, Ha'oma nami mitzvah. Or some are going to say, Ha'oma nami bonim mitzvah. Rav Yehuda basically says the same thing. When it comes to feeding your sons, it's only a mitzvah. And from our mission, we see it's an obligation. And Eid ben and if our mission would follow Rabbi Yehudah ben Breike's opinion, he says, feeding your daughters in your lifetime, not only is it not an obligation, it's not even a mitzvah. He said, right, only uh, after he passes away. But in their lifetime, the Lashon Rav Yechon Rav Reke was, on his You don't have to feed them at all. The so who, in the, in, the, in the person's lifetime, in the person's that lifetime. That so our Mishnah does not go like any of these opinions. So the Gemara will show, show that <coughs> it's possible to say that our Mishnah follows all of these opinions, and you can choose whichever one you want. You can, if you want, you could explain our Mishnah like Rav Meir. same Yehuda, or even Rav Yehuda. And same You could explain our Mishnah like Rav Yehudah same We can say it goes according to Rav Meir. and this is how you have to understand our Mishnah. A father does not have to feed his daughter. And really, and also he doesn't have an obligation to feed his son. Before we said, he doesn't have to, but a son you do have to. But now the is saying no. The way to read the mission is it goes together. Not the daughter and not the son that you have an obligation to feed. However, it's still a mitzvah. It's your daughter. So the father does have a mitzvah to feed his daughter and kavchaimalabanim. And most definitely, according to that Mary, you have an obligation, or not an obligation, sorry, a mitzvah to feed your, the sons because they so, learn they learn taita So the reason why the Mishnah specifies the daughter, even though it's not dafka the daughter, it's even the son as well. Hawkam is because the Mishnah is coming to teach you that, that even when it comes to your daughter, which does not learn any taita, it's only that you don't have an obligation to feed her, but But nevertheless, there is still a mitzvah to feed her. So then it fits with Rav mayor's opinion, that both the sons and the daughters, you don't have an obligation, but you have a mitzvah to feed them. We could say the same thing, similar, in the reverse. Rav Yehuda, that the Mishnah goes according to Rav Yehuda, and this is how you read the Mishnah. A father is not obligated to feed his daughter, and live a and most definitely, he's not obligated to feed his son. Again, this is Rabbi Yehuda's approach that says that it's more important to feed your daughter so that she doesn't become embarrassed. So if you don't have to feed your daughter, for sure, you don't have to feed your son. Ha But there is a mitzvah to feed your son. Most definitely, it's a mitzvah to feed your daughter so they shouldn't have to be embarrassed to collect money for themselves. So why does our Mishnah specify specifically the daughter if the same alacha applies for the son? The of our is that Even when it comes to your daughter, that there's a big concern that she'll become embarrassed if you won't feed her, nevertheless, you don't have an obligation to feed her, it's only a mitzvah to feed her. So the Mishnah could fit with her Yudah's opinion. Or the Mishnah could go according to Rabbi ben opinion that says that a person has an obligation to feed his daughter after he passes away, but in his lifetime there's no obligation whatsoever, no mitzvah either. And this is how you read our Mishnah he does not have to feed his daughter and he doesn 't have to feed his son either and for mitzvah and really there 's no mitzvah either even though the Mishnah uses the expression of chaval don 't be midaic that expression it really meant there 's no obligation and there 's not even a mitzvah either because when it wanted to speak about what the father 's obligation for his daughter is, after he passes away, or actually from the father's money. What's the obligation? That the money should be used to feed the daughters after he passes away. So there it actually is an obligation. So regarding that time period, it uses the expression of Chayvah, Taninami e'en chayv. So therefore, regarding his lifetime, it also uses the expression that he's not chayv. But it also really means, not only is he not chayv, but it's not even a mitzvah at all for the father to feed his children in his lifetime. This is Rabbi opinion, and it could fit with our Mishnah. In Usha, the Chachamim instituted. Usha was a place, one of the places when the Chachamim went from outside of the base of Mikdash, and they were in different golets, and the 10 different places <coughs> that they went to, one of the places was Usha. And over there, they instituted as follows: that a person is obligated to feed his sons and daughters when they're Katana, when they're young. Taisus here points out that, that, that what this refers to is, Kitanim in this expression, the Gemara here is actually above the age of six years old. Taisus says if the Kitani Kitanim, if they're below the age of six, then everybody agrees that you're fully obligated to Obligate feed your children. Absolute obligation, as we'll see later in the Mesechta. Over here it's saying even above the age of six, they instituted that a person is obligated to feed his daughters. Now, when it says here obligated, obligated means a real khiv, meaning if he does not, they could force him to feed, to feed his daughters. Or his children, his sons and daughters. Now, the question was asked about this. Do we paskin like this that they said that in Usha they instituted this? Or do we not paskin this way? Toshima, so I'll bring you a ray that we do not paskin this way. We cannot force a father to feed his children that are katanim. Because when they came to Rav Yehuda and they said that it was a person that did not want to feed his children, so what happened? What did you to do? Um, he said to them, Yared uh, gave birth. Yarod Rashi says, is a tanin, some kind of a snake, or the translation that I saw is a jackal, which is, I guess, some kind of uh, whatever. V- v- bnei and you throw the children on the people of the city. So just like this snake that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't treat its children well, it doesn't take care of its children, you're a person that's like a snake, that throws away your children, and doesn't take care of your children. Mm. So what's the Gemara proving from this? What did Rabbi to do? He didn't force. He didn't go and force the father. He didn't confiscate from his money, right? He all he did is he embarrassed him. He was he was uh, uh, rebuking him. He was screaming at him. So in order to get him to feed his children, well, but we, we can't we can't force him though. What's we can't thing? force him. Okay, so it's therefore that. So therefore that proves that when Usha they were massacred that you force. It's an obligation. We see here that he didn't force him. Similar, they came in front of the church said about this person that doesn't want to feed his children, take this mortar, or take this big thing and then turn it upside down so you could stand on top of it in a high, high place. Get up in public, and get up, and the layman announced the following. Either the father himself should announce this, or somebody else should announce it for him. Or the boy, even a raven wants his children, takes care of his children. And this individual does not take care of his children. So basically humiliate him in public to get him to feed his children. But again, what we see over here is we're not physically forcing him or confiscating from his money, but we're going to, the, only thing, the only thing we can do is humiliate him. But the Gemara asks on this expression that he said, they should say about this person, that a raven wants to, a raven feeds his children. A, a raven feeds his children, but that the, 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 the children of a raven calls out to the avisha because the parents do not take care of their children by ravens. So Gemara answers, like, Kashi, it's not a question, depends when they're white or when they're black. This means when they're white, when they're young and they're white, they're, they're, the mother and the father does not take care of their children. Later, when they become black, then they love them, then they take care of them. Jesus says that and are two different kinds of ravens, white ravens, black ravens, and they have different natures. The white ones take care of their children, and the black ones don't, or take, don't take care of their children. Or maybe the opposite. So that's the story with the ravens. Another example the Gemara brings. When they came to Rava about an individual that didn't want to feed his children. So he said to this person. What do you want? Your children should be fed from tzedakah, From from uh, Why aren't you feeding your children? Now after all of this, the Gemara says that we will not force parents to feed their children. We'll do everything. We'll humiliate the father. We'll scream at him. But we can't physically force him. But, but this is all said or this was not said only if the father was not wealthy, so he can 't feed his children, so we, we he, but he has to make an effort in anyways, and we, we, all we could do is humiliate him Aval but if the father is wealthy, he has all that money and he's still not he 's still not feeding his children we we 're going to force him to feed his children even against his will. And the reason is because this is no less than tzedakah. By by tzedakah there's a halacha, as the Gemara will bring right now, that a person is forced sometimes to give tzedakah for certain causes. So over here, if it's your own children and you're not feeding them, so we'll force the person to give at least tzedakah. No less than regular tzedakah, if he's a regular, whatever it is. However he has to be forced, we'll force him to give tzedakah to his children. Ki Like the story that happened with Rav HaKafil of Barami. He forced Nasan Barami, and he took out of him, 400 Zuz for Tzedakah. Apparently he was wealthy. And he forced him to give Tzedakah. So you see that when it comes to the midst of tzdaka, you can force someone to give Tzedakah. So therefore, no less should apply with a father that's wealthy regarding his own children. But here there's a very big discussion in Taisvis and then many of the rishanim and the that discuss this the fact that you force for tzedakah because tzedakah brings from a gemara and Chulin that says that anytime there's a mitzvah in the taita where the taita writes the schar of the mitzvah and one of them is tzedakah because the, 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 the prosely says then we don't force for such a mitzvah only a mitzvah where the taita doesn't say the schar could you force a person to fulfill that mitzvah so why over here by its where the taita says the schar why do we force with tzedakah? That's the question of tzedakah. And there's many, many answers to this question. One of the answers that Taisus gives is that we would tackle, we can't force physically. We could only force with words. Or another How answer... Do words? How do you force with words? I don't know. The only for, huh? uh, another, another, another answer tzedakah gives is that tzedakah, besides being a mitzvah say. This speaks parasha. Parasha Sirei is the place where it speaks about tzedakah. And there are two leisesses. Leisa yatcha, So therefore, because there's also two leisesses, therefore you could force for the mitzvah of tzedakah. Leisa do not keep your hand closed, do not close your heart from giving tzedakah. So therefore you could force to give tzedakah. Amar Rabbi Loi, Rabbi said in the name of Eishlokish, another takana that was instituted in Usha. But Usha, and Usha, they instituted as follows. A person, while he's still alive, he goes and gives all of his properties, all of his possessions, all of his money as a gift to his children. So that's it, he has nothing. But he and his wife will be fed, the children that now got all this as a gift will have an obligation to feed their parents from this money. The question was asked. Why do they have to institute this? There's actually something that's even greater than this that we already know from another place. Something even greater that's even more of a chiddush was said, and that is almanasei, a person's almana after a person passes away, and his wife, the widow, she gets fed from the the money of the of her husband. That's what was said. We get to the almana. If so, the Gemara says. Who ve If in a case when almana after the husband passed away gets fed from this money, so it's, it, do you have to tell me that the father and the mother, the, the parents, will get fed the, the, from, from the children after they gave, if they gave all the money to them as a gift? Now, what's the Ka'va Chaim that the Gemara is saying over here? So okay, so first let's see the, the source of this halacha that the almana will get fed from the husband's possessions, and then we'll see exactly what the Gemara means by this kavuchaymer. So the Gemara says as follows, The Shalach, ravin the Igri say, that is, sent in a letter, the following Allah, person passed away, obas and what does he leave behind? A widow, and one daughter. So now, Almanosah, his almana as the Allah always is, nizainis is that's one of the conditions, that after he passes away, she gets fed, from his money, and then the Allah is, until she collects her ksubah, or until she gets remarried. So she can collect from his, uh, from his money for it to be fed. Now, Nisus, Habas, now who, there's only one person that's inheriting all the money of the father. Who's inheriting all the money here? The daughter. <laughs> right, so now, this daughter that's inheriting all of the father's money, she got married. What happens when a daughter inherits all the money of the father? Who, who now gets all this money? The husband. Her husband, well, the daughter's husband, about. is the one that gets all this money. When she gets married... The money that she inherited from her father now becomes the husband's money. Sorry, Any husband. money that a wife brings into a marriage goes to the husband. Mm-hmm. So now al but still, nevertheless, the almana, the, the, the widow nizaynis min will still get the will still get fed mm-hmm. from from this from this money when the daughter passes away, so now it's not—it's not even the, the, the money is not even in the daughter's possession. As long as she's alive, the daughter is alive, so the money is still hers. The husband eats from the paytas that belongs to her. That's the Allah Chow, right? the, the money that, that a wife brings into the like <laughs> niximilu, right? So the the husband eats from the paytas, but now after she passes away, who inherits all of this money that she brought in from the husband? So now the question is, at this point, now that the husband inherited all this money, does the Almana, which is the mother in law, still get fed from this money here? So he said that the, the, the Al Yadi Hoya maisa, by me there was such a story. And for Amru and they paskin Almanasa min Minachasov that almana still will get fed from this money, even after the money now became the, the daughter, the daughter's husband. It became the, the son-in-law now. It became his money, but nevertheless, the mother-in-law will still get sure. fed from that money. For That's all sure. so for sure. So Rashi why explains why this is a big kiddash here, because usually the halacha is... Regarding an almana, right? So the almana gets fed from the her husband's possessions. But here's the halacha, though: if there's anybody that bought properties from the from the husband, the almana does not get fed from those properties. Suns. Why not? Because the sun. Why doesn't the almana get fed from Elkeiach that bought the properties? Because imagine what's going to happen. Anytime a person buys a property and then he passes away, all of a sudden now the Alman is going to come and say, ah, the husband was obligated to feed me and (laughs) I'm going to get fed from these (laughs) properties. Ah, So the Gemara says, there's a tikkun al-Olam. They will misakin that a buyer will never have obligation to take care of the seller's widows after he passes away because then people are not going to want to buy any properties. Because I'm going to be obligated later to pay a widow. For Hermosinus, that's usually the Takana. Now, this son-in-law over here that got this money from his wife has a status of a buyer. This is something the Gemara will tell us later, that even though technically he didn't buy anything, he didn't pay for it, he only inherited from his wife, but nevertheless he has the status of a buyer. So really the halacha should be that the almana should not get fed now from, from the son-in-law's uh, properties because he's a buyer and a buyer does not have an obligation to feed the almana. But nevertheless, there was still a that she should get fed from that money. And the reason is because over here the usual takana does not apply. The only reason they usually made this takana is because a buyer pays for this and no one's going to want to buy it yeah. if he knows that later he's going to have to feed the almana. But over here he didn't pay for it. Never paid for it. He's just getting it from his wife for through the inheritance over here. So therefore, he's going to be obligated to feed the, the no. mother-in-law, the no. almana. says, now the gemata, if so, in a time, in the lifetime, when they gave, if a, if a person gives all of his money to his children, and they got it as a gift. So needless to say, that the mother is still going to have to be fed. Right. So the main... And uh, Well, the father, the truth is that the father, it's not so simple why the case of the father being fed, why that's a kabochaimah. But let's talk just about the mother. If you're saying regarding the mother, that after the husband passes away, the mother is still going to be fed from her son-in-law's money. Even though the son-in-law is technically a buyer and he should not have the obligation to feed the mother-in-law. But nevertheless, we say that he's still obligated to feed the mother-in-law. When the, when the uh, father and mother are still alive, the mother for sure should have to be fed, if she has no money for herself, for sure she'd have, she should have to be fed from this gift that was given to the, to the children. Okay? Okay, points out of here an, an additional detail, that this gift that was given to the children is, 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 even, is even different than a usual gift. Because this, this halacha, that a meicher is not obligated to feed a mother, it, it applies even by a gift. A person that received a gift from somebody. Reuven gives Shimon a gift so if Reuven passes away Reuven's wife can't come to Shimon later and say feed me from this money because my husband gave it to you as a gift it doesn't work that way once you give a gift you don't feed but Rashi says this gift is even stronger because usually when you give a gift there's the famous expression the Gemara says you don't give a gift to stomp anybody. You give a gift to show a certain appreciation. Says, yeah. So once it's given, it's fully given. But over here, person that gives everything to his children, it's not because of any appreciation. He decided to give. He wants to give all his children a gift. So for sure, there's no reason to say that the mother should not be fed. That's, that's, that's the, the child the the of the Gemara's question. The, the son-in-law got it from the father. It's okay. a dowry. He got, okay. got it from the father. Okay, but here we're talking about the children, though. Okay, okay so the Gemara answers that there's a reason why I would think this case is different and therefore there has to be a special takana and usha. Mao the tame, I would think to say, hasam hudaleket the Torah. The whole reason why usually an almana is fed from the father's possessions after he passes away and it goes so far that even after the son-in-law gets it as a buyer, still he's obligated to feed his mother-in-law is because who else is going to feed her? So yeah. that, that's, that's the reason why it's important to feed her. But over here, when the father and mother are still alive and he gives this to his children, see, so you gave away all your money to your children. Very nice. You're a very, very uh, generous person. You give such a gift. But now nah, you have to work for yourself and, 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 and earn more money. That's the Kiddush, that even after he gives away the money, we don't say to him, go work for yourself. The children will still have to feed the father and mother. That was the takana that they made in Usha. Now, Iboilu, the question was asked, Hilches HaKavasei, Ales HaKavasei. Do we paskin like the Salacha of Usha or not? So, Hashemah, the, the Gemara brings it right that we do not paskin like what they instituted. In other words, we will not force the children to feed the parents. Rabbi Hanine and Rabbi Yenison were standing together. a Ogavra, this individual came along. Gochen v'noshkele Rabbi Yenison HaKare. He kissed Rabbi Yenison at his feet. Amalei Rabchanine, Rabchanine turns to Rabienitz and says to him, My, high, why is he kissing your feet? What did he do for him? <laughs> Amalei, so he said, Kaysiv of who? He wrote off all of his possessions for his son, for his children, V'astasinu And I forced his children to go ahead and feed the parents. Now, If you're going to say that we don't in like the Takana of Usha... So, Mishum hachi asinu. So then I can understand that there's a here. that what Rabbi Yenison did for this person is. Sadin. He didn't have to force the children to feed the parents, so he did something. Sadin. That's why this person is kissing his feet for doing something beyond the letter of the law. But if you're going to say that this is the halacha that they must feed the parents, asinu boy, he has to go ahead and lufnim Din and force them. Obviously, it has to be done. He doesn't have, you have to go and kiss his feet for doing this. This is, uh, or maybe the way the Gemara is read is eli asinu boy. He's obligated to, to 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 force them. So there's no there's no involved in this. So therefore, we see from here that we don't pass him like this halacha, like this takana of usha. We don't pass.